The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Aussie Pinball Podcast with Dr. John on the Pinball Network. On this episode, I'll be interviewing Michael Boyer, who is the Managing Director of AMD, or Amusement Machine Distributors, who is the Australian importer and distributor for all Stern Pinball products. We'll find out about the ease and difficulties of importing and distributing pinballs in Australia, find out a little bit about Michael's background, and find some interesting stories about drinking with Gary Stern. We'll also have some pinball trivia, some Aussie pinball maintenance tips, a little bit of an exploration of Aussie holiday spots, and we'll find out Michael's favourite Aussie movie. Let's get on with it. But just before we start this week's episode, this week's Pinball Trivia. Can anyone name a game that plays what I think is the Rocky theme song, apart from the game called Rocky and based on the movie, of course, when you press the start button? I'll give you a clue. It is played with chimes. I'll come back with the answer later on. Joining me this episode is Michael Bauer. Boyer, what do you prefer? Oh, yeah. Boyer. Okay. <laughs> From uh, AMD Amusements or AMD Coinop, as their website calls them. He is a, a member of the team that distributes Stern Pinball in Australia and have been doing so since... 1993, uh, <laughs> I believe, because I joined Bruce and AMD in 1995, right. and we'd already been doing it for a couple of years before that. So, and was it always pinball, or did you initially start with arcade games and lighting and party uh, A bit of everything, yeah, a bit of everything. It was always, pinball was always there, and I was you know, 19, so I was a whippersnapper. I was quite young. Uh, there was always pinball, always video games. Ticket redemption games weren't big back then, but... <gasps> Don't n- you was those days. Yeah, but not, <laughs> no, no, no prize redemption. Prize redemption, ticket redemption wasn't really a thing, except for chocolate games, chocolate cranes and things. Who's in charge here? Like that, but there was pinball and video games, yeah. Why did you get into that industry? What, as a 19 year old, were you a pinballaholic? Were you a. No, I, I was technical. I did my courses. Well, start, I was studying at TAFE doing electrotechnology, but I was also out of home and I wasn't earning enough money. I needed to work to live. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And, and I started doing fax machines and photocopiers. I did that for like three months and I thought, this is rubbish. This is not <laughs> fun at all. Hi, is there a problem with your service? Yeah, my cable is out. Really? So you called me? 
funny how you call when you need something. Is that how you treat people? Well, I've been really busy. Can you get my cable going? Robin is here. Please, this is important. But calling me back isn't. I'm sorry. Please, can you help me out? And I just found Bruce and AMD by, by chance, and I haven't looked back since. It's, I've been blessed with a lucky career opportunity, yeah. So initially hired on the technical side or sales? Yes. Yeah, no, technical. technical. Side. Yeah, straight into My first pinball that I ever unboxed was a GoldenEye from Sega. <gasps> Great yeah. game. Fantastic Great game. game. Yeah. James Bond may be coming back in the near future, according mm. to Rumor Mills. But anyway. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. Maybe. Love the Golden Eye. Love the magnet save. Love the uh, satellite dish. Mm. There was a lot of innovations back then, even though uh, well, the magnets. policy of pinball varied. Yeah, magnets were a big thing back then, you know, like that was the era of GoldenEye and uh, Twister and magnets, even the Bally Williams games like Dracula and uh, Adam's Family, they, there was there was magnets in the, the, the play fields. And- yeah, some were used well and then some were used like Adam's Family, which was annoying as hell. Yeah, uh, and some worked and some didn't work. That was a great introduction and a great era for me to, to start my career. Pinball take up most of your repair and technical side? Did you do house calls? I, I assume in those days they were all pretty much on location, not a lot of home buyers. Yeah, the ratio between home, the home market and operator sales for, for pinball machines was uh, no, nobody back then would, would, would buy it. Well, not that I knew of, but were buying games for home. It was all operator sales. And back in those days, operators needed to be technical and there wasn't so many home sales at all. But, I, you know, I've seen some funny things from operators back then, putting cigarette paper as fuses and, you know, what? Uh, oh, just, well, you know, when you're on, when, when you're in a pub and you've got no fuses and there's a blown fuse, then you pull the sil- silver paper out of the cigarette packet and wrap it around the fuse and <laughs> whack it in. Um, you know, I've seen bolts in fuse holders. That's what we call a no-blow fuse. And, uh, <laughs> If you wonder why a lot of those ga- the games of those eras had burnt out general illumination plugs and things like that, it's because they were overamped and crazy. Burnt, yeah, and burn well, everything out. Were you purely Sydney, or did you do Australia wide? No, we still we did Australia wide even back okay. then. Yeah. So when uh, operators in those days were buying their games, you know, we always talk about they they were made to make money, and then you you threw them away virtually on the tip sometimes when they ran out of popularity and just put some new games in. So how long would a pinball machine be on location before operators would buy their next game we were trading games back in selling new games and trading back old games reconditioning them and selling them back into the like a lower tier of operator you know we were probably doing that every two to three years so games were probably out in location for that time and that would come back in and then hit that lower tier operator where they wouldn't the lower tier operator wouldn't be able to afford a brand new pinball so they would look for the second hand market to go there. Okay. All right. And how did the association with young Gary Stern begin? Gary Stern and to ask David Hankin because, ne- yeah, because that's, that's someone that you I would love, love you to interview on this podcast. And congratulations on the podcast too, by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> Get some um, extremely exposure. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to speak to uh, David Hankin in the future on the podcast. Gary Stern and David Hankin had a relationship stemming back to the Hankin days of making pinball. And a lot of people don't know, but David Hankin was instrumental in in creating AMD as a business, as was you know, Bruce, Bruce Colburn is, was um, always been the face of AMD and continues to be the backbone of, uh, of our sales team. You know, very much so. He still is 
instrumental in running the business. David Hankin and Bruce and Gary Stern are like uh, brothers that were separated at birth. You get those three together and it's like kids in the playpen. They're, they're best mates, they're best friends, They their, their relationship is, you know, uh, is something hard to, uh, to compare. But... Those, there, there lies the crux of the development and the, the beginning of AMD. So it was it was David Hankin's relationship with Gary that allowed AMD to be the our beginning of the relationship with Stern, and it was also the beginning of our exclusive arrangement to be the authorised distributor of Stern Pinball in Australia. Okay. and been like that since day one. So yeah, a lot of people don't know the relationship between Gary Stern and David Hankin and Bruce, but it's, you know, I'd, I'd prefer them to talk more about it, to be honest with you, because uh, it's, a, it's pretty special and unique. Yeah, we will give David a nudge again in the near future and try to get him on. Well, David Hankin, David Hankin is a unique character, uh, to say the least. And David Hankin has the, has the ability to make and break you. Uh, and I've known that guy since I've been, since I was 19. Hmm. And I've been... Fortunate to be in his good books since. <laughs> I've seen him break many of people and he has the ability to bring even now. I'm 46 this year and he'll, he'll talk to you and he makes me feel like I'm 18 again. Excellent. An Aussie legend amongst pinball Absolutely. Uh, is young David. I mean, have the challenges changed with importing games from Stern over the years, from when you first started with the methods of travel? Has it always been by cargo ship? Has it been particularly a learning curve as time goes on with damage as things arrive, that sort of stuff? Are there challenges with being a, an international distributor from this far away? No, well, the, the, the same hurdles you know that we faced back then are what we face now. The, the bigger challenges that we have now are freight prices, container prices, which are at a unprecedented high. The other challenges that we face are the um, the US dollar, the UX exchange, and they're two things that we have very, very little control over. The manufacturing side is another thing that is uh, continues to be a challenge on Stern's part, but you know that's the new COVID world that we live in with supply chain issues and so forth. The beautiful thing about Stern Pinball in terms of shipping is, you know, I'd like to credit Gary for it, but I'm sure there was uh, other people involved in this element, but there's no other game that we can fit as many games in as a stern pinball container. You know, okay. in a tw- 20 foot container, we get 33 games. In a 40 foot container, we get 69 games. And they're like packed like sardines. And as far as I know, as far as I can remember, the shipping dimensions of a pinball machine have never changed. Right. And this is a huge, I mean, when you're talking about freight prices, etc., to, and I mean, it also, you talk about damage and things that happen in transit because they're packed like sardines they don't move mm-hmm. um so the the damages that occur in transit are very minimal when when the machines are packed like sardines they're the same challenges that we faced the same hurdles that we faced back then are the same hurdles we face now shipping shipping prices insurance prices the us dollar and transit time and it, they're all factors that we just can't control but transit times are you know you put a you build a container you load it you ship it what happens after that? It's just beyond anybody's <laughs> control, and it's just you—you you hold your breath. And we, you know, I, I have made the mistake once of I got given uh, the name of the ship one of my games was coming over from, 
and there was a tracking app you can use online where you watch the ship cross the ocean. Yeah, we stopped doing that. We stopped <laughs> doing that. That's a good idea because it drove me mad. It actually missed Australia at one stage and went to Singapore, I think, and then had to come back. We had a lot of customers that used to ask us for the, for the, <laughs> for the name of the, of the boat, and we did it, and yep. then we stopped. Um, yeah. Because people would say, "Oh, it's you know the boats in Singapore now." Yeah, we know. Ah, oh, the boats in in Sydney port now. So does that mean we get our game tomorrow? No. Nope. You know, people <laughs> <laughs> they drove us bloody mad. And you know, people have to understand that once the container is loaded and locked and sealed, right? We have no control until the container arrives on our doorstep. You know, yep. we can jump up and down until we're blue in the face and call people and try to. Call favours. No. Give it to me. Now. You get the container when you get the container. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we say quite often, you know, nobody wants the container of games delivered to AMD more than AMD, I tell you, because mm. we've got our money wrapped up in these containers as well. You know, we've got to turn it back, back into cash and turn around, buy more games again. So nobody wants the container yeah. more than us. The shipping time's... Are roughly four to five weeks. Quite often you can get a, a four-week sale, like a 28-day sale, but quite often that blows out to 38, 37-day sale. It is what it is, and it's always been the same. Do you ever get demands for an air shipment for those who yes, are impatient? Yes, uh, until they realise the prices for ship air, <laughs> shipping by air is um, not so attractive. It typically will cost anywhere between sixteen and $1,800 per game to air freight, and since COVID, um, air freight can take. Air, air freight used to take four to five days. Air freight now can take 12, uh, 15 days. So really, just wow. be patient and wait. You yeah. stole a time freezing crystal from testicle monsters. I would have been happy to pay for it, <coughs> Summer, but they don't exactly sell them at Costco. One service that AMD yeah. offers, and I wonder if they've always offered it. I've bought, I don't know, a lot. Probably, <laughs> yeah, that's my customer record. I've bought a fair few of you. You tend to open the games, inspect mm. them, and then repackage them for mm. people. Is that something you've always done, or is it something you've done because you've noticed? I think, from memory, we we started making it mandatory to for us to check games before customers receive them. We made it mandatory around Metallica, uh, around 2014, if I'm not wrong, around about that era. Between sort of around about ACDC and, and Metallica, the reason why we wanted to open games before customers even saw their games, it's not anything to do with Stern's quality control. It's basically the same reason why you can't buy go into a Subaru dealership and w, buy a WRX direct from Japan. Subaru Australia will uphold your warranty and as a result, they'll do their pre-commission or pre-vehicle checks before they sell it to a customer. And the same thing applies to us. So we wanted to double check our games. We wanted to open them. We wanted to update software if applicable. We wanted to check all the features of the game, make sure everything was tight and ready for the customer. That's something that we do without charge. It's it's something that we do with every game that comes into our factory. Um, and it's every game that, that we sell. And it just ensures that we have a hands-on feel. We have a hands-on approach to what we're selling and you know as yourself um dr john that pinball can be a fantastic and it, it's also an electro electromechanical nightmare at, at times and whatever we can do to make sure that our customers have the best possible experience on buying a brand new pinball machine and if it means that we have to check the machine for three hours and then repack it before they get before delivery then that's what we'll do uh, and that's our commitment we still fun 
you know, we don't want to take the chance that something can happen in the factory, something can happen in transit between the factory and the end user. And if it means that we can take that risk out, take that element out and ensure our customers receive a, a good experience, then that's what we'll do. And we've been doing that ever since. So we don't actually offer new in-box by definition anymore. We open every game that comes through. I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? What's in the box? I think it's a great service. I mean, I've bought pinball games new in box from every manufacturer. And when you move a pinball machine from America well, to Australia by ship, yeah. it hit waves. And every now and again, yeah. a connector falls off or something happens. And uh, if, especially if you're a new buyer. It can be a bad experience. Yeah. Frustration. Yeah. When you open this, this expensive machine and it won't turn on. And it's as simple as one connector's come Correct. off. And, so I think and, it's a great uh, And, you know, let's not forget that these games are hand-built, you know. I mean, there's, there's human error at fault and there's human contact involved. They're not made by robots. So things can go wrong. And it's up to us as a distributor to make sure that our customers receive the best possible experience. So a lot of customers will yeah. say, oh, we want a new box and we don't want you guys to, to, to play them. We don't play them. Now, it, well, they, if, if we didn't don't tell, tell them, them, they wouldn't know. But we don't we don't sit around drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and playing your game. It's not like that at all. It's a very regimented procedure. We have quite a big checklist. They get checked by three different people. We everybody signs off on it. A lot of the times, I'll go down and put my fourth eye on it as well. And before we sign off, repack it and it gets delivered to the customer. Would you like it gift wrapped? Uh, yes, all right. Let me just pop it in the box. There. Look, could we be quite quick? Ready in the flashiest of flashes. Almost finished. Almost finished? What else can that be? You're going to dip it in yogurt, cover it with chocolate buttons? Who knows? We're going to pop it in the Christmas box. But I don't want a Christmas box. One thing you did do, which, including myself, who bought Stranger Things Pro Premium or LE, got the UV light kit fitted mm. for free. What did Stern think of that? Correct. They didn't like it. <laughs> we, we had interesting conversations um, about it but you know it was a decision that we made because we believed in our heart that the game deserved it out of the box and we thought it was a bit rough from a, as a customer's experience that they've built in a feature being the UV paint on the playfield and we're, we're selling the the option of um, the UV kit and we had a roundtable discussion and we thought no let's buy the kits and let's add we them to the Everyone charge extra for it. it. It's made such a difference. It's such a It's so chalk and cheese, you know, and you, you, you see a game with it on and it is a magnificent game. Uh, I, I love the series and I love the pinball and I think it was a good decision on our behalf. My, my funniest AMD experience, which will never be repeated, was the first time I ever walked into your factory showroom, which was in the old premises yep. near the airport. Yes. My wife and I were flying somewhere and we had a three-hour wait till the international connection. I said, let's just jump in an Uber and I want to go visit somewhere. And she said, where? And I said, oh, it's just some people I know. <laughs> <laughs> so jumped in the Uber, came to AMD, which was in a particularly charming little neighbourhood. said, why are we here? I said, I'll come up these stairs, these narrow little staircase. Of course, we walked in and walked in. There was Bruce there and uh, I was chained to him and someone had traded in a Lord of the Rings with custom decals, etc. It was on free play. She just started playing it. And then she said that thing that she'll always regret. She turned to me and she said, this game's pretty good. We should get this. And I think my credit card appeared from my wallet faster 
faster than the blink of an eye, and it was run through Bruce's machine. And I said, "Oh, we just, just did." Just bought a pimple. <laughs> like, fantastic. Thank you very much. Fantastic. I said, "We'll be back from overseas in two months. We'll have it shipped uh, out." That's fantastic. So, no, she she doesn't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you should bring it down more often. <laughs> yeah, Rick, um, you think maybe I could get something from this place, like like a souvenir, like like just to have, like something cool, you know? Not here, Morty. We'll stop somewhere else because you know there's always another pawn shop. Oh, okay. I just um. You know, I thought that robot over there looked pretty cool, you know? Oh, it looks cool, huh? That's why you want it? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's different from the stuff on Earth. And, and, and you know, you, you take me to all these crazy places across the galaxy, and, you know, I don't really have anything to, to remember all those trips by. It'd be kind of cool, like a souvenir. You know, like, what if you passed away or died or something? I wouldn't even have anything to remember all the cool stuff we did, you know? Okay, uh, 60 uh, for the resonator, and my grandson wants the sex robot. I haven't seen the new place yet. Is it much bigger than the old? Yeah, uh, probably three times the size. Yeah, we sh- we struggled out of the factory in Alexandria for a long time. It was good location, just too small. The rent was horrendous, and we were fortunate enough through a series of events. We were fortunate enough to be able to our current factory and uh, we haven't looked back that was two and a half years ago but we haven't looked back since then it's been a lot easier to operate out of with a lot more storage space and it's uh, we've got two showrooms now but you know then along comes comes covid and uh, nobody can visit us anyway so hopefully traveling back to normal oh, soon. cool all right let me let me find out a little bit more about michael we'll, we'll dive deeper into you sure. born in new guinea of all places yes born at a young age yes. came over yes. <laughs> to australia even younger you've always lived in sydney Always lived in Sydney. I did spend some time on the Central Coast up until the age of about six or seven, and then back down to Sydney. Been here ever since. So we had a Central Coast, well, if you call Newcastle Central Coast, mm. guest on last episode. Mm. You may or may not have heard she espoused why Melbourne is so much better than Sydney. Would you agree? Oh, I've got, we've got a lot of customers in Melbourne, so I don't wouldn't, wouldn't like to upset anybody in Melbourne, but... I'm very partial to Sydney. You'd have to pry me away with a crowbar to get me away from Sydney. I just, uh, I love visiting Melbourne. I think it's very cultural. I think they've got great beer, great food, great wine, great nightlife experience in Melbourne. But my, mm-hmm. my heart's in Sydney. Why is Sydney better then? I think it's just, it's it's what you it's know. It's the vibe. I think. <laughs> I just, you know, all my friends and all my family are in Sydney. Um, I would, uh, I couldn't move away to be honest okay. with you. So it's more the the family ties and the growing I up. I COVID Australia wide though. Loved it. Loved when Melbourne got locked down. Oh my God, loved it. I'd lock them back down if I could. They haven't done anything wrong, but I think it'd be good for the nation's morale. Because it was a win for Sydney. It was. We never win up here, do we? Ever. We never win. We have to listen to this bullshit rhetoric about how Melbourne's the cultural capital. Oh my God, guess what as well? They're the sporting capital of Australia. On top of that, best bar, best restaurant scene in Australia. I say, suck it. Because we played the long game. We did, didn't we? We know Sydney sucks, but we played the long game. Because as it works out, Sydney, best city to be in the country during a pandemic. Who knew? In fact, I'll go one step further. I'll go one step further and argue that it's the best city in the world to be in during a pandemic. In fact, I would say you couldn't design a city better than Sydney to deal with a pandemic. Because in Sydney, as you guys know, you can't get anywhere. Can't get anywhere in Sydney, and if I can't get somewhere, the virus can't. You ever tried to get on the peak M5 and peak hour? Impossible, right? Ever tried to get a park at the Enmore Theatre? Not happening. Melbourne has accessible suburbs and a working public transport system. Look where it got them! Uh, for tourists coming, would you recommend Melbourne or um, Sydney? Either, either or. or. Uh, either, either or. I always tell them don't go to either. I say you can go to 
LA, you can go to New York, you can go to Washington, you can go to San Fran. They're all cities. If you want to see Australia, you go to Queensland. You go to North Queensland especially or Darwin yeah. or even WA. That's where the, uh, the Australia really starts. Cities are cities. What's your favourite holiday spot away from Sydney? We, my family and I frequent Nelson Bay, which is up in uh, Port Stephens, which is not so far away from Newcastle. We do that every new year and uh, it's a place that we just fell in love with. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough with my role at AMD to travel a lot of the country and see um, a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, we live in the best country in the world, no doubt. You know, we've got beautiful places every in every state. Nelson Bay for me is just a beautiful laid back town. If I ever was able to afford it, I'd buy a house up there and uh, I could easily retire up. No, well, no? I tried, but no. <laughs> What's the appeal of the bay? Is it, uh, is it the serenity or? The serenity of the place. How's the serenity? I think you also just love the word. So much serenity. I think it's just the the relaxation. A lot of people think that selling pinball machines is the best job in the world. You know, can I tell <laughs> you, it's it's not all fun and game. We, you know, I've been doing it for you know twenty six, eight, seven years, something like that, and that's all I do. It's all I know, and I'm blessed to you know we're not sort of selling handkerchiefs. We're selling fun games. But you know, it's not all fun and games. So at the end of every year, it's a good time to switch off, relax sit on the beach, have a few beers, watch the kids play in the water. For me, Nelson Bay, I mean, there's, we're being, you know, a large continent, you know, we're surrounded by water. Um, there's beaches are everywhere, but Nelson Bay for me is, you know, it's two and a half hours away from Sydney. It's close to home. And surrounded it's a, by yeah, water, surrounded by place. sharks, surrounded by stingers, surrounded by blue-ringed octopuses, yeah. stonefish, <laughs> all the things we love. <laughs> Music. Give me your music love. Australian band. It's easy to say ACDC. You know, this is quintessential for, for Australia. But, you know, like, yeah, I like Silverchair. You know, um, Silverchair for me, even when I was in my early 20s, that first Frogstop album. Do you remember how they got their start? I don't, but I know they started real bloody early. It was on Triple J Unearth, which is our youth radio station. The very, very first year they had their competition. Bands could submit a tape of whatever songs they had written. And the three of them got together in the garage and recorded uh, Tomorrow, a a song with the... The yes. best 15-year-old lyrics. I love the lyrics. There's no bathroom, there's no sink, and the water out of the tap is very hard to drink. That's just beautiful poetry, Daniel Johns. <laughs> Thank you very much. But, yeah, it went on and on to greater and greater things. Favourite Aussie movie stuck in your mind. And you can't have Mad Max, you can't have The Castle. Uh, Okay. That's That's not a knife. This is a knife. That's not a knife. That's a knife. (laughs) Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) Crocodile Dundee. What a movie that was. I saw that at the movies. Fantastic movie. That was, uh, you know, Paul Hogan in his absolute, he was absolute prime. Man. Um, I, I love the fact Paul Hogan, you know, his yeah. first job, he used to paint the Sydney Harbour oh. Bridge. That was that was his job uh, yeah, as a I would crocodile dundee, yeah, which I'd was, I don't, I'll have to look up, is it still the highest grossing film in Australia ever made? 
It'd have to be up there. It'd have to be. It'd be in the top five for sure. But well, yeah, what a what a legend. Something matter, darling. Pleased to meet you. It's okay. He's Australian. Maybe I better go there someday. What a fantastic movie! I just I remember just a silly slapstick sort of humor or you know just you know when he's sort of walks past his the tour guide his mate and he 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 looks at his watch and then he turns around and looks at the sun and goes mm, about three o'clock we better hurry up rock sticking up there and standing up there for 600 million years still be there when you and i are gone so arguing over who owns them like all right two fleas arguing over who owns the dog they live on in pinball, now remember what I was going to say about pinball. Mm. You talk about the difficulty with sales. Tell me your darkest hour. Was it around 2002 when they're putting out games like Wheel of Fortune and Mick on a Stick? Or was it now not being able to keep up with the numbers that Australia is demanding be sent over? What, what was the most difficult to deal Probably with? Probably the era when, when Stern went, their production numbers were substantially low. You know, manufacturing games like um, CSI and 24 and NBA and were missing the mark with their licenses, I think. And um, and laying off staff, so they had to sort of try to condense everything in to, to just a few key people, didn't it's they? It's business. You know, I think, you mm. know, when you contract, you've got to contract to model your business to suit. And for, for AMD, when pinball popularity is uh, not there and it's taking a dive and you know, you're struggling with pinball sales, we've got to counter those sales with other products, which we did, you know, when we were moving prize redemption games and video games and, and other products, air hockey tables, um, kids' rides, etc. We were combating that lack of pinball sales with other product. That's what we have to do. Otherwise, we're not going to survive. And it was around that 2010, 11, um, I guess, or 2008 and nine when we saw games like uh, Tron, and Rolling Stones, and then we started discovering this momentum. I think it was then around that period when, certainly when ACDC was was released. I mean, ACDC took Australia by storm, took the world by storm, but I, I remember being in Taiwan for a trade show, sitting down with Gary Stern and making a call to Bruce, asking for how many more pinball, how many more ACDC ACDC pinballs do we do we order? We we rang, we rang Bruce and we asked the question, Bruce, how many more ACDC pinball machines? Bruce says, as, as many as you can put in a container and as many as you can make tomorrow. Like it was, <laughs> we, we couldn't get enough of them. No, I remember well. I remember <laughs> my first new inbox was that game. So to answer your question, the darkest times were for pinball were, were around that era, those early 2000s, where the licenses, the, the titles weren't popular enough for those big production numbers. It was only until... Rolling Stones and Tron and ACDC that we saw, you know, the big numbers come in. And we haven't looked back since. It's just been, you know, I don't like to use the word tsunami because it, but it, it just, that's what it feels like. There's this wave of pinball popularity since that era. And we haven't looked back. It's just up and up and up. You know, last year, um, not many people are privy to this, but I don't mind sharing it. But last year, we sold more pinball uh, in the calendar year than in the history wow. of AMD. And that's during COVID. that's during a COVID yeah, everyone's year. at home wanting pinball, yeah. And that's with with these supply chain issues with Stern, you know, with trying struggling to get games out of the factory because they can't get the parts, the chips, the components, and even still, despite all that, we still we still had a record year of sales. And yeah, the challenges are here now with this COVID new world. You know, with, with supply chain issues, freight delays, freight prices, the US dollars not where we would like it to be. 
these challenges are just things that we have to face daily, but we've got good problems. We're shipping a container every four to six weeks from Stern. The next three containers are basically spoken wow. for. Well, we've got no, I can't sell you a new game for nearly four months. And it's not because we can't, we don't want to. We just, we can't get our hands on enough games. And I applaud Stern for not releasing a new title until August, making decision to catch up on their huge amount of back orders that they've incurred over the last couple of years. And I applaud Stern for, for making taking that decision and taking that stance to try and catch up on their back ordered yeah. games. I think a lot of people that have been waiting for six, 12 months to games would also yeah, agree with for me. Sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're doing a great job, as are you. And AMD has always been a big supporter of events and tournaments and uh, meetings with sponsorship and attendances. I mean, I've, I've seen you drag yourself out to many pinball events that I've been to to help uh, get through the beer fridge. Uh, it's a perk of the job. At one stage, did you guys have games on location in one of the Pacific Islands? Yes, Bruce had a, uh, I don't think you mind me telling this story, but he had a side business is probably the best way to, of, uh, of explaining it. He had, a, he had another business um, that operated some games in resorts in Fiji. And your tax deductible holidays coming on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what it was for. He never, he, we never, we never saw any of the money. The money stayed over that's in good. Fiji, and Bruce would um, have a holiday once a year and use the money that he had accrued from the operations. <laughs> so, uh, so in Fiji, it was a fantastic, and they, he he did that for that's many great. many years. That's great. Yeah, but was, uh, uh, no, thanks to you and Bruce for all your sponsorship over the years. Just for the people who aren't aware, AMD only and has only ever distributed Stern. You haven't really branched into any other distributors. Uh, is there a reason why you only do Stern and don't entertain any of the other manufacturers or how you're thinking of doing it? We, we wouldn't do it. Our relationship with Stern and Gary is rock solid. We, we have had opportunities and we have been approached from by other companies to represent and distribute in Australia and it's just something that it's not even a decision. It's something that um, we wouldn't entertain, not for a second. Uh, our relationship with Gary and our relationship with Stern Pinball is something that we hold very close to our chest. Um, you know, there's some things, you know, in business, loyalty that, that carries far and long. I've had the privilege of spending many, can say, drunken. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've had a few drinks with Gary Stern over the years. It's just not something that we, we would ever entertain. The business relationship with Gary Stern and Stern Pinball is Stern makeup as a percentage of our business is probably 60% of our business when something is so important. You don't jeopardise it. I've been blessed to be mentored by some really great people in this industry. You know, all the guys in our workshop are all aged 50 and above. They're all industry experienced, very heavily industry experienced. You know, we're we're a small business. A lot of people don't realise, but we're only a staff business of eight people, soon to be nine. We're actually going to increase again. You know, we sell fun. You know, we're not selling, like I said before, we're not selling tyres. You know, we're selling fun. I don't know if you've seen me play pinball. It's when you bought Ghostbusters and put it in Lee's shed when both Ghostbusters came out. Oh, jeez, your memories. (laughs) Jeez, your memory's good. I'm terrible. Like I, you, you would think that after 20 odd years, 20, 20, 28 years or whatever it is, I'd be a good pinball player. I'm terrible. Uh, You're not be. What's the game that you haven't played that you know about that you would really like to get on that table? Doesn't have to be stern. Any game you've seen that you think I reckon that would suit me. I want to play it. You know, I love the Aliens movie yep. franchise. I'd love to play the Aliens pinball. I've just never okay. seen one. Get away from her, you bitch!
at the other game I'd love to play, which I've seen and at Pinfest, which we um, sponsor every year, I'd love to play Guns N' Roses. Because I love Guns N' Roses. I love the band. I was so angry with Stern when when Jersey Jack got Guns N' Roses. I said, no, you've, we've had it before. Why wouldn't we get it again? It's just not it's fair. To, um, if I turn my camera this way just to annoy you, there's Gunners sitting over there. Oh, you teased <laughs> It's a uh, it's a fantastic game. There is no doubt. It's a it's not for everybody because it's complicated, as is an Eric Menier game. But uh, it's got a lot in it, and the experience, the concert experience, is is unbelievable. Brisbane Masters. I know you're sponsoring Brisbane Masters again. So two months yes. away in July, yes. we'll be having Jimmy yes. Nails on as a guest soon. But maybe uh, what a little trip down the Gold Coast. Got a spare bed here for you, and we will have a big session on Guns and Roses. Oh. All right, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Right, Fantastic. Mate. Thanks for your time. John. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you, mate. Talk to you soon. Ta-da. I'd like to just thank Michael again for that chat. A great insight into selling pinballs in Australia. Now, the answer to my pinball trivia question, which game, apart from Rocky, plays what I think is the Rocky theme song via chimes when you press the start button? For those who know their games, maybe more than one, but the one I was thinking of was 1977 Stern Stingray. It sounds a bit like this. Not sure there will be a successful law case against Stern for using those chimes in that particular order, but it just always reminded me of Rocky. Music means it's time for our Aussie maintenance tip. Today I'm going to talk about the dreaded, loved and hated Tilt Bob. Of course, every game since very early on, even prior to Flippers, had some form of tilt detection. This started off as a little stand that a ball sat on, and if you hit the machine too hard, the ball would fall off, and that would tilt the machine. In those days, that was called a stool pigeon. Since then, we have upgraded to the tilt bulb that we know and love so well, being a weighted pyramidal shape on a rod which sits inside a ring and this can be adjusted to make it more or less sensitive depending on how far the weight has to move to make contact with the outer ring. When you play pinball, nudging is essential even though beginners seem to think that nudging the machine is cheating. Of course it's not. The tilt bob is adjusted to make the game fair for everyone, so excessive movement is not used, but hopefully a little bit is allowed to try to save the ball where possible. Unfortunately, when that tilt bob starts swinging, smaller and smaller amounts of movement are required to cause the tilt to activate. To prevent this, we have the earplug modification. This utilises those small little foam plugs that you can squash down and put in your external auditory canal to reduce ambient noise at work or help you sleep while your partner is snoring like a chainsaw. When the foam is compressed and placed in the ring at the end of the tilt wire, it dampens down the swinging to reduce it considerably. In this way, the tilt will still register, but it'll settle a lot quicker so that later in your ball, or even worse, with the next player, 
it doesn't register with just a minor machine movement. If you need more information, plenty can be found online, but I have the earplug tilt modification in pretty much all my games to make them more playable for friends, visitors, and in competition. Hope that helps someone play their games with a little less frustration. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. And remember, you can always reach out and contact me, Podcast at gmail.com with any criticism, any advice, any feedback, or if you want to be on the show in a future episode. I will catch you all in a couple of weeks. And I'll be leaving you with a song which has a link to this week's episode. The song is Torn by Natalie Imbruglia, who was the wife of Daniel Johns of Silverchair. Hope you enjoy it and catch you in a couple of weeks. Uru.